You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 260 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm actually a little bit soggy. Oh, soggy. I reckon. It's like Armageddon <laughs> in Sydney it's and well, New South Wales. Down. Exactly. It's so crazy. for our listeners who are not sitting where Valerie and I are sitting right now, it is pouring, like absolutely pouring. When they talk yep. about tipping down, mm-hmm. it's like someone actually just emptied a bucket over the house. That's yep. what it feels like today. So we are all tucked up inside. Uh, yes. Procrasty Pup has taken up residence um, on the bed in my study. He's actually sleeping as we speak. And I've just decided to batten down the hatches and ride it out, baby. What about you? How are you? Absolutely. Well, little Rocky is being very needy because he hates rain and thunderstorms. And I Mm. think that Noah, you know, is on Sydney Sydney Harbour somewhere searching for his ark. And uh, it's, it's insane. But anyway... Enough talk about rain. Well, we'll be, I was going to say, like, we'll be next, you know, give us two weeks and we'll be whinging about the fact that it's 40 degrees. So, exactly. But what would we do if we didn't have the weather to talk about now? Like, it is the great universal leveler, isn't it? You can talk about the weather to everybody. It's so true. So true. What have you been doing apart from, you know, braving the rain or fixing weather. leaky roofs? Um, well, I've been, so as you know, I have been, uh, involved in NaNoWriMo this month yes. and it is almost it's at going. the end. And in fact, some of you may be listening to this, um, you know, After. later and it's, it'll be over, but it's been, uh, it's been an interesting one. So I, I'm at around about the 30,000 word mark, which is pretty much That's where pretty I always, good. where I always end up. And, um, I was, it's just that sort of, you know, I just think you you hit your rhythm. I think we talked about this last week, you hit your rhythm. My rhythm tends to be around a 1,000 words a day. Um, but I did absolutely not one – I didn't even, like, touch a keyboard over the weekend because I had, you know, family stuff and uh, various other things on. So it's just been, um, you know, I've just been chugging along. But I'm getting toward – you know, it, I'm getting towards the end of the story. So it's going to be um, – I'll have a, I'll have a good first draft to add to and work on, which is good, um, which is as much as you can ask for from NaNoWriMo, I feel. That's it's, awesome. you know, a solid first draft to be getting on with. So I'm pretty happy with that. It's It'll it'll work itself out. So I've been doing that. And um, what else? That's Well, that's about it, really. Well, yeah. congratulations. 30,000 words is 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 huge. It's huge. Well, it and is. Then- but we've got people in our Facebook community who have cracked the 50 already. Like they and if you're if you're not in our so you want to be a writer podcast community on Facebook, you should join us because it's a great way mm. to uh, get to know fellow writers and uh, so there's been much cheering. I've been cheering yes. for other people who have cracked that 50,000 and for those people who are like I've only written 100 words a day and I'm like great. Yep. That's fantastic. We're building Better a writing habit. Words. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah. So well done to everyone who participated in uh, NaNoWriMo. So good, no matter what number of words you achieved. Good on you for participating and just getting in there. Fantastic. Definitely. Mm. What about you? What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, I just got back from Brisbane where I ran a workshop on, you know, how to write a book for about 30 people. That right. was um a big day and I have been um, liaising with lots of artists and lots of people from the City of Sydney because um, the City of Sydney have appointed me the curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival for 2019. So that's... You're amazing. Is there anything you cannot do, woman? Like, really? By the way, I'll just be putting a festival together in my spare time. So it's um uh it's an awesome festival. It's an arts and culture festival, and uh, one of the things that happens in it is that uh, there are these iconic, you know, three to eight story lanterns of all of the animals of the Chinese zodiac that line Circular Key, and they're incredible art installations by these fantastic artists. So I've been dealing with artists, commissioning artists, and there's also a program of um, performances and talks and dragon boat races at Darling Harbour. So, um, yeah, it's apparently the third largest annual event in Sydney after New Year's Eve fireworks and Vivid. So I have my work cut out for me. That's so amazing. Congratulations. And I'm sure that all of our podcast community is cheering you on and um, (laughs) hopefully we'll come down and have a look at your work if if they're close enough to Sydney to do so. Yeah, yeah. So it should be fun. And it's summer in I love summer in Sydney, mm. you know, um, in the city of Sydney mm. particularly. It's just a great time of year with daylight saving, being on the harbour, eating oysters, drinking champagne or whatever, looking at the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. It's it's pretty special. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, and so it's a great time to go to Circular Quay and look at the art installations and uh, and there'll be fireworks and all of that. So yeah, I'm excited. Val <laughs> creates her own fireworks show. <laughs> I'm a fireworks tragic, so Are that's you really? very exciting. Yeah, Are I you? love fireworks. You don't understand. I love. No, fireworks. no, I'm, I'm getting the picture. I am. It's starting to. It, well, yeah, okay, that's really interesting. I'm not. Why? Not. I. Well, no, I have to say. Let, let's 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 put a caveat on that. I mm-hmm. I love a big I, love, I do love a big fireworks show like I love Sydney Harbour New Year's Eve and things like that. Do you know I got married when I got married we had our we had our wedding reception because we got married on New Year's Eve. We had our wedding reception down at the Palisades Hotel before it became Juji. It's much oh, more Juji now than cool. it used to be. Yeah. But on, we had our reception on the roof of the Palisades awesome. Hotel. Um, on New Year's Eve so we had the you know we had the fireworks and the whole bit it was like yeah okay they put them on specially for us it was lovely Um, so I do have incredibly good memories of fireworks but I I also feel like at the moment and this is just I'm I'm just putting this out there this is not no reflection on your lunar fireworks of any level I just feel like there's too many of them no there's never too many they used to be special it used to be a thing and now it's like every you know, every school fate as a fireworks, <laughs> as a fireworks display, and I'm a bit like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I don't know if I'm just becoming, um, you know, I don't know. 
too cynical for my own good, which is entirely possible. I'm sure our listeners would probably agree with that. But I, yeah, I don't know. Tell us what you think, people. Are you are you in the fireworks yeah. are amazing and you can never have too many, or are you in the, you know, take them or leave them like I am? And just so you know, smart people like fireworks. Well, smart people <laughs> also can take or leave them. As I said to you, I I just feel like if I feel like if they weren't, it's if if you if I wasn't seeing them every week like you do over summer here, um, and we do have a lot of fireworks down here, yeah. um, I feel like they would be I would be more excited about them, maybe. Oh, look, summer is too, the, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. No, Val. no, 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 okay. more than nothing. So, <laughs> no, I mean, it, more good banoffee. I don't like bad banoffee. That's what um, I'm saying. That's my point. No, but it's not bad. It's like a summer in Sydney is characterised with lots of fireworks and that's the best thing about it. Like, it's so cool. I okay. Love it. Well, okay, I'm, I'm putting it I'm out. I'm putting it out there fireworks. to our podcast community to let mm. us know where you stand <laughs> on the fireworks debate, the great debate of our time, the fireworks yes, debate. Yes, the great debate. All right, so you've been busy signing bookmarks, haven't you? Oh, yes, I have. Um, I have, uh, you might remember last week that I uh, uh, let people know that if they had uh, purchased copies of my books, the Mapmaker Chronicles or the Outerbound Cipher for their, for Christmas for anybody. I mean, you know, you must know someone who's, you know, somewhere between the ages of nine and 13. Yeah. Um, do let me know, send me a message, put a, a post on social media, tag me, whatever, and I will send out a signed bookmark to go with your book. And, um, of course, the, the uh, I think the offer is open, when did I say? December the 7th. The offer is open until December the 7th because that will give me a chance to actually uh, get it out to you. And, of mm. course, uh, US listeners can also buy copies now of Mapmaker 4 via my website and we'll put the link in the show notes. And that also comes with a signed bookmark as well as, you know, the book itself being signed. So, you know, I'm just signing all the things and sending them out all over the place. What a great gift for a young person to have not only put the book, but obviously also a signed bookmark. That's oh, a, they they do love so them. Cool. Yeah, they do love them. Kids kids love a bookmark. Like mm. I've, this is something. It's a bit like a fireworks. I think um, when they they sort of like when I go to. Uh, you know, uh, events and things like that. They love a bookmark, um, and they will always want the signature. They, it's all, it's one, it's a thing. So a little bit like the fireworks. Brilliant. They want the full show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's move on. We have a listener question this week, oh. and the listener question comes from Madeline, and she says, uh, "Hi, Val and Al, and the wonderful team at the Australian Writer Centre." I've been binge listening to the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast for roughly six months, working my way back through the back catalogue. Even got a shout out pot in, you know, for her review. The podcast ha- has given me so much inspiration and advice. I signed up for NaNoWriMo and finished my manuscript. Woo-hoo! Well done. Cheers well done. Yes. I've written down the gems of advice that Val and Al dish out, most notably the advice about how to approach editing. I understand the importance of a structural edit, a proofread, and a copy edit. However, as I'm a university student, so some of the fees editors charge are out of my price range. Do you have any advice about ways to get your book published and have editors take a commission as opposed to an outright fee? Thanks for all your hard work. Cool. Great question, Madeline. I think this is a good question. 
it is a good question. So my, I, I'm just going to go in with the first bit of my thoughts there because, okay. you know, I always have lots and lots of thoughts about things mm-hmm. and then I'm going to hand over to you for your thoughts. All right. Um, but my first thought is if you are sitting there with a the first draft that you have just completed in NaNoWriMo, the first edit of that manuscript has to be done by you. Um, before you do anything else with it, before you send it anywhere, attempt to get someone else involved, do anything, you have to edit that thing yourself. So you are now going to need to go back and you are going to have to go through the process of working through that manuscript yourself. Now, um, this I understand, particularly when you're doing your first one, is like it looks like you're climbing Mount Everest and I and it is something that does you do get to understand the process a lot better um, the more that you do it. Um, but your first task, um, and, and I will give you this as a task, your first task is to read that manuscript out loud to yourself mm. or to your dog or your cat or whoever's mm-hmm. nearby. Like if, you, if you've written a children's manuscript, grab the nearest child by the ear and read it to them. Um, read it out loud to yourself because as you're reading it out loud to yourself, it is there is something about hearing it as well as seeing it that will allow you to pick up a whole range of things that you will not pick up if you are only, you know, looking at it visually. Because what you're going to understand as you read it out loud to yourself is where your story's gone wrong, where your structure doesn't make sense, where you've started talking about something, you know, 30,000 words into the book that you have got absolutely no mention of anywhere else up until that point. So you have to start, you, you read it out loud to yourself and you take notes as you go through. Where is blah, blah? What's happened to so-and-so? Where is this character? I've got this character, for example, that I... That in the in the manuscript I'm working on at the moment that I know is going to cause me problems because he disappeared somewhere around about chapter four mm-hmm. and he has not as yet returned. And I'm sort of like, it's one of those things where I'm like, he's a niggling worry in my mind, knowing that this person has gone missing and has not as yet returned. So you, that's we, that's the kind of stuff that you will you will pick up when you read it out loud. So you, what you're looking for at this point is just your structure. You're looking for the story. Does this story make sense? Are my characters doing things that are in character or out of character? And if they're doing things out of character, have I given them a very, very good reason for doing that? So you're listening You're listening for the logic, you're listening for the story, and you're listening for the structure. Once you've done that you've got, and you've made your notes, then you have to go back into that manuscript. And, it, and we're not even looking at sentences at this stage. We're not looking yeah. at proofreading. We are not worried about whether the full stops are in the right place. All you are concerned about at this point with your first draft in your hand is is reading it through, making your notes, and then you're going to go back and you're going to go through that story all the way from start to finish again. And what you will find is that this is not a tweak, generally speaking. I think this is one of the mistakes that, I mean, it's what definitely one of the mistakes that I used to make when I was, um, you know, writing my first manuscripts, making my first couple of manuscripts was writing that first draft and thinking, this is amazing and how amazing, and then reading it through and thinking there's not a single thing I can change here except maybe move that comma and move that. Um, and then you realise that um, actually it probably needed to start in a whole different place. It, the, one of the yeah. characters you've got in there maybe not, is, is not necessary. Um, you've got to really read it. You've got to read it hard and you're probably going to need a bit of space. So if you've only just finished your manuscript, put it aside and I'm saying put it aside till January at the earliest. Mm. Put it aside. Go and do something else. You know, enjoy Christmas. Look at the fireworks like there's something to do. <laughs> Love 
look at the fireworks, um, do all that stuff, and then come back to it fresh in January and go, right, this is what I'm going to do now. So it's um, it's really important to have some space. You need to be able to read that story like you didn't write it. Mm. So that would be my first, you know, tip. Your thoughts, Val? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with every single thing that uh, Alison has said. I love how you go, read it hard. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. I, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but you, it's a different read. It's not like, isn't this amazing? I can't believe I wrote this. Although there are bits of that in there. If you've got bits in there, if you're reading it hard and you've got bits in there that are like, actually, that's not too bad, then, you know, go and pour yourself a glass of champagne. That is a good day. Um, mm. But you you have to read it with a hard eye. You can't just be reading it for I'm amazing, I finished a book, although you are. Like let me say yes. that up front. Yes. You are amazing. You have finished a book. Now you've got to, you know, swap hats. You've got to take the white hat off, which is your writing hat, and you've got to put the black hat on. Mm. <laughs> the black hat is a hard hat and you've got to actually look at it, you know, read, read it hard. <laughs> read it hard. I feel like you're Tom Gleason on hard read it hard. I know. <laughs> Hashtag read it hard. <laughs> exactly. It's great. All right. Apart from hashtag read it hard. Uh, and I agree with everything Alison has said, and that is definitely a good first step. And you should definitely do that first because you, because before you send it to anyone else, you want to make sure that you're happy with it. I think the biggest mistake that people make is that they do look for an editor after only their first draft and they think, mm. oh, I've written it now. And an editor can, t- and, and, and they think, oh, well, an editor can tell me how I'm going. And I just think that that's a waste of your time and their time. I think mm. you, ne- and your you money. need to be and your money, um, you need to be of a far more advanced stage with your manuscript. It might be, you know, draft three or four or whatever, or at least after you've done what Alison has said. And I would also say even before you send it to an editor, whether you pay them or not or whether you they take a commission or an outfit, whatever, before you go through the editing process uh, in any way, um, send it to some beta readers. So mm. friends who enjoy reading, obviously, you know, who appreciate um, reading and send it to them and ask them their opinion because then you're getting real readers' opinions on, oh, that didn't make sense or I didn't understand where that was going or, you know, they and don't I, have to be literary students or anything. They can just be normal people. No, but if can I just make a point on that too? Yes. If you are going to do that and you are, it is going to be friends who are readers and it's yes. not necessarily going to be because you can also source some out of the So You Want to Be a Writer community. I've seen yes. people do that. Um you have to tell them what you want from them. Tell them what they're reading it for because otherwise what's going to happen is they're going to come back and say, it was lovely, you're so clever. Mm -hmm. And that is not what you want, although you do. I mean, secretly, that's what we all want, (laughs) right? Secretly, but it's actually not useful to you because, you know, your mum and your best friend telling you that it's amazing is not actually going to really advance your cause that much. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask them, so... um, you, what you can do is send them some questions with it, you know, did yes. the story make sense? What did you think of this? You know, was this character, did you get a good and I, what I look for is reasons, okay? So did you mm. get enough um, of a sense of why this character did X or why this? Because motivation, your character's goals and motivations and things like that are really important and you don't nece- you can't necessarily see where, They've done something that there's no reason for. So that's mm. what you're looking for, those kinds of things. You know, what did you think of this character? Did the, Was the ending satisfying? 
Like, did you yeah. feel, or were you turning the page looking for more? So ask for specific questions. And if you're sending your book out to kids, particularly, like if you've written children's fiction, you must send a question list because kids mm. will just go, yeah, it was funny. Or <laughs> I didn't like X. Okay. Mm. Well, why? I just didn't. Mm. You know what I mean? So you kind of got to, you kind of got to, you want to get to the why of their re- of their responses, whether it yeah. be kids or adults, the why, you know, was it, what was it about it that made them feel that way or what was it about it or what was it about the character that they absolutely loved or hated or whatever. So um, be specific in your questions if you're using beta readers. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, and in the ideal world, you are using beta readers who you, who um, understand the writing process. So maybe mm. They're from a writing course that you're in or they're from the So You Want to Be a Writer uh, podcast group on Facebook. Um, if you really can't find any of those, then, yeah, definitely uh, get normal people but make sure you pro- make sh- even more sure that you pose those questions to them so that they know what kind of responses that, you know, you're, you're looking, what kind of insight you're looking for. So once you've done that and then you've taken their feedback on board and I do encourage you to take to have an open mind and take their feedback on board because if they say oh I didn't get that don't just go oh well that's cuz they were dumb <laughs> no. you know actually take that on board and go okay well if they didn't get that how could I have made that clearer how could I have made that um more digestible for them um and if so you get what, three people saying yeah. I didn't get that oh, then you really got to have a good problem. solid look at it <laughs> yeah definitely and so after you've done a, f- a couple of drafts or a few drafts, you might, and you're, you're really confident that you're at the stage that this is the best I can, that it can be. This is the best it can be. Then send it to an editor. Now, of course, everything can be improved in, in theory, but you want it to be at a higher level, not just I've just whacked out this, you know, 60,000 words or 80,000 words and I'd like someone to... Um, tell me how I'm going. So your question as a university student, you're you're wondering if um, uh, the, there are any editors that take a commission as opposed to an outright fee. Um, the short answer is I know of none. I've never heard of any and I would never advise anyone to, to do that as an editor. Yeah. Um, I don't know of any good editor that would take an, that would take a commission as opposed no. to an outright fee not one no. single good editor you might no. have a non-good editor <laughs> but then why would you want that yeah <laughs> um if money really is an issue what you might be able to do is find a editing student who might be willing to do it as practice or mm. who might be willing to do it on commission uh but no good editor i know and i'm and i'm sure you agree Al. Um, I do yeah, would take commission as opposed to an ROI fee. So I'm pretty sure, well, so really neither of us have any advice on how to make that happen because that's like, it's just not even possible in our world for a good editor. It is, it might be possible for a crappy editor. But, you know, the other thing is too that if you polish your work and do the work do the work up front that you need mm. to do, it, you know, and then submit it to a traditional publisher, then you don't pay for editing. So, you know, there's yes. that too. So it, it may be that the process is that you've got to do as much of the work as you can mm. um, yourself 
and then submit it to a publisher because when you sub- when when your work is traditionally published yes. the editor takes on the 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 cost of the editing and the covers and all of those sorts of things and you of course get a royalty so you're essentially getting the commission so you know it's i guess it's 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 that process as well it's, it comes down to whether or not you want to indie publish in which case you will need to pay for a good editor or you want to traditionally publish in which case you submit your manuscript and if they agree to publish it they pay you and they take on the the cost of production which is which is what editing you know comes under but sometimes people will engage an editor even if they ultimately go down the traditional publishing route. So some they people, will, yes. Some people know, do do that, and that's yeah. but that comes down to fees and costs as well. Yes. The other thing that you could look at too is once you're at a position where you where you think you're you know you're you're almost there or you're there, is to get a manuscript assessment done rather than a full structural edit. So a manuscript assessment is a is not a full structural edit. They will not go through every page, and they will not you know necessarily like they'll read the whole manuscript, mm. but they're not going to make notes on every page, but they will give you an idea uh, for a smaller fee as to whether or not your manuscript is ready to 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 submit, um, and they will make suggestions as to what might need to be, you know, what you might need to be looking at without necessarily page after page after page of notes of every single thing that you need to take on board. Mm. So there's that. Um, yeah, definitely. Or um, and if money is really a real issue. Um, the beta readers are sort of like a second best option because at least you're getting some feedback Um, or think of, you know, what can you do in return? Don't just take, what can you offer in return? Mm. Do a contra deal. Is Mm. there something that you can swap with them for their editing services? So if their editing fee is, you know, $2,000 or whatever, what can you provide to them that's $2,000 worth of work or product or service or or something like that. I know people who have done that in the past for sure. Mm. Hmm. All right. So hopefully that's helpful for you, Madeline, and good luck with your manuscript. That's very, very exciting. It is exciting. Hmm. So let's move on to our giveaway for this week. We have three copies of the Australian Literary Diary. Now, this is very exciting because people will remember there used to be a, a, a pilot writer's diary, but that is no more. So we have the inaugural Australian Literary Diary, which is for readers, writers, and book lovers. It's a week-to-a-page planner packed with all the good stuff, the major and regional Australian literary festivals, the cute book town festivals, the submission deadlines for prizes and comps and monthly reading recommendations. The diary is designed and produced in Melbourne and batch made for zero waste. The cover is letterpress with reinforced cloth spine and the inner pages are digitally printed on FSC certified paper. So it's the brainchild of an Amy Constable and Caroline Kennan, uh, and they are partners in crime and creativity. Proud word nerds, writers, readers, and book lovers, they created the Australian Literary Diary for everyone else who revels in a good story. You can get them from saintgertrude.com.au. That's saintgertrude.com.au or enter our competition uh, and entries close on the 3rd of December. Just go to writerscenter.com.au slash win. That's writerscenter.com.au slash win. So now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, 
I think the situation is that you have me in a position where I can't leave because it's too <laughs> raining. So I have never been more ready. About. Awesome. This is a good word. Super irrigation. Oh, I've stuffed it. You didn't even say it right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you can. I'm not sure if you're allowed to have a word of the week you can't pronounce. <laughs> Super irrigation. Oh, I did it again. Super Su- irrigation. That's it. Super irrigation. Super irrigation. That's Super and then <laughs> E R O Gation. Super Erogation. <laughs> oh, that was Let's hard. all say it together, shall we? Super <laughs> Erogation. Stupid like, Erogation Listic. Yes. I think so. Sorry. <laughs> so, do you know what it means? Have you used it? Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, Val, as if I've used it. You can't even <laughs> say it. <laughs> Super erogation. Is it like oh. a is it like a really intense interrogation? Uh no. Super erogation. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it should like be. It? Yeah, no. That's what it should be. That's yeah, that's what it sounds like. So no, it means to perform beyond the call of duty. So you might say examples of her super erogation were well documented by her managers. Sure you're gonna use it in the KPI, you know, world of <laughs> It sounds like a middle management term. I yeah, okay. Let's move. Actually, on. I think it can't has a religious kind of uh, oh. you know roots. So super irrigation. Okay, I like it. It's cool. Okay, it's all yours, all right. baby. <laughs> Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Now, way back years ago, now actually, we interviewed Burr Carroll when she was when it was earlier in her career, and she is now the author of eight novels, including Just Business, High Potential, The Better Woman, Less Than Perfect, Worlds Apart, and Once Lost. Now, she's taken a slightly different turn with her latest novel, which is The Missing Pieces of Sophie McCarthy, and Mm. it's published under B.M. Carroll. So, Burr Mm. Carroll, B.M. Carroll. Let's have a chat and have a listen to Burr. Thanks so much for joining us today, Burr. Thank you, Valerie. It's so nice to talk to you again. Yeah, now your latest book, The Missing Pieces of Sophie McCarthy. For those people who are who haven't got it yet, who haven't read it yet, can you tell us what it's about? Um, this is really hard because <laughs> to say what it's about. Um, because um I've had to craft this whole story um around it because there's um a lot of things in it that the reader doesn't know. Um but it's probably easier for me to talk about what inspired it. Yes. Um, right. And that was a um, somebody that I know and that was badly injured due to the carelessness of someone else. Um, and um, her whole life was impacted, her health, her career, her relationships. And the person responsible for what happened got to walk away scot-free. Um, and that got me thinking about just how unfair that was and um, with a certain type of individual, how that sense of unfairness might fester and turn into something more sinister. So that that's what inspired it. I've developed this whole technique of, of talking around in circles about this book. <laughs> Uh, it's really hard to talk about. <laughs> yes, yes, because it slowly unfolds, doesn't it? So yes, you, it does. yeah, it must be hard to explain. All right, so 
this happened to this person that you know in real life yeah. and that inspired a story. So yes. when was that? When did you first think, oh, there might be a story here? And how long after that did you actually start writing it in earnest? And how long then did it take you? So it did, um, you know, at the time when I heard, I wasn't thinking, oh, there might be a story. But as afterwards, when, you know, um, it didn't go to court or anything like that, that's when I really thought, "Mm, there's one person here who's been really badly impacted and one person who hasn't. Mm -hmm. And that seems really unfair. And um, so that was quite a few years later. But interestingly, you know, when I went back to this person and said, look, I want to write a story about this, but this, you know, it's just this notion, you know, um, and um, it's not about you in reality. It's just using this idea of one person being able to walk away from something like this and the other not. Um, And they were so deeply impacted by what happened. They, you know, said, yeah, that's fine, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about what happened. I don't want to talk about the impact on me. So, um, you know, um, all my research and everything I, you know, had to find out in order to write the novel was all done without their assistance. So, Mm. yeah. And so then how long did it take you to write that first draft? Um, Not long. Um, Well, for me, for me, when I say not long, I think it might have been in all maybe a year. Mm-hmm. Um, which for me is really good going. <laughs> mm. But then, 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 um, this doesn't have a happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. Then came the editing of it, mm-hmm. and that was the most excruciating thing I've ever had to do in my life, um, probably because of the way I wrote it. So it's written mm. from seven different perspectives, yes. all in the first person. Um, and really, any self-respecting author would tell you that's complete madness. Um, and any editor would tell you it's madness. And in actual fact, when I submitted it, I thought I would be promptly sent it back. You know, I sent back to me and told me, you know, being told, what are you thinking? Um, this is completely crazy. So, um, but they didn't, they really liked it. But trying to edit afterwards, so it was fine writing the story like that. And that's how the story came out. Um, it was fine writing it but going back to edit it and trying to figure out what had happened where because it's very um intricate um it it was so so difficult um and I ended up with this colored spreadsheet and um trying to figure out you know who was speaking when who knew what when um Mm. it was really one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do so um the writing of it was easy um, and the story really just flew out. I had a very strong sense of Sophie and who Sophie was and what she would do and what she would not do. Um, and I remember having quite a lot of discussions with the editors um, saying quite, you know, seriously, you know, no, I can't do that because Sophie wouldn't do that, um, mm. which was hilarious as if she was a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a very strong sense of her and a very strong, strong sense of the people around her, these other voices. And I think that's why the story came so easily to me Mm. um but I think and what I've realized I've not written a novel before with that much intrigue or suspense um I've always had some level of intrigue but not this level and I think that any type of editing with novels like that is really tricky because Mm. you forget what you know and how you know it (laughs) um 
And so do your editors. They forget how they know it too once they've read it a couple of times. So, yeah. And so you say that it came out fairly easily. And is that because, so if readers aren't clear, um, this is, it's a beautifully written novel and it is written from many different points of view. And as you've said, it's in first person. So I, as I was reading it, um, I'd sort of put it down and go have lunch and think, wow, how did she keep track? Exactly that. So if you, if, does that mean that when you did do that first draft, it was, you didn't give any thought to, you know, sort of like timelines and and when things happened and stuff like that. And then you overlaid that later and then had to think, okay, I really need yeah. to map out when all of these things happen so that it's not inconsistent. I mean, so that it's consistent. It was when I changed it that I ran into trouble. Ah. Um yeah, so as I changed it, um, like one thing I did that was really hard, so there was originally nine perspectives I was asked to drop, you know, to get rid of two of them. Actually, I was asked to get rid of three of them, but one of them I refused to get rid of, which is Jasmine, the child in the right. novel. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that later and whether that was the right thing to do or not the right thing to do. But um, so getting rid of two first-person perspectives and dropping that information into other first-person perspectives mm. is not an easy thing to do. And I remember the editor highlighting one particular line and saying, oh, can you find a way to keep this? And I was like, no, I can't find a way to keep that. That's inside somebody's head. Mm. I can't find a way to keep that. So, But it, there was also the, you know, those perspectives carried plot with them and trying to find other places to you know, put that in was so hard. And, yeah. and first, first person makes things like that really hard anyway. Um, so it, it was really more to do with the changes than how, because I think when the right. story came out, I'm quite mathematical anyway. And I kind of was able to keep track of, okay, it's this person's turn to talk. What's yeah. happened with them? Okay, it's a while since we've heard, since that person, we need to hear from them now. So I'm, I'm quite logical so I think that helped me through the first draft, but um, yeah, it was the later drafts mm. that caused the trouble. Why did you want to write from so many different perspectives? I have no idea, really. <laughs> I, there was times when I was like, oh, why on earth did I do this? I have no idea. I don't know. It's how the story came out. I wrote the first chapter with Sophie, yeah. and for some reason, I went straight to her father for the next chapter. And don't ask me why I did. And then I went to Chloe, who's her partner's ex-wife. And I was, you know, and, yeah. and again, I was like going. And I fully expected that to cause a big issue when I sent it um, to the publishers um, and was nicely surprised when they, you know, yeah. accepted it. But it was it's just how how the, the story came out. I mean, if, yes. if, as I said, if I'd been thinking about it logically, I would have said, no, don't ever do that. Um, it's crazy. And if you had to kill, well, you had to kill your darlings. You had to kill two of your darlings. Yes. Was that really, like, did you hate that or did you almost expect that that was going to be the case? I expected it. I expected it. I found it really difficult. I mean, the characters still existed. Um, They were Jane, um, Sophie's colleague, um, who has quite an important role. role in the novel and then there was Jacob her brother 
Mm. And her brother gave a lot of information about Sophie. And I found that both of them, Jane was a bit easier to kill (laughs) off than Jacob. (laughs) And so both of them, it it was hard, but I expected it. Um, The one we disagreed about um, was Jasmine, um, the child in the novel. And I'm really glad that I persevered with that because I couldn't see the novel resolve without her in it Mm. um and and you know I can see a lot of reviews now I think the editor's concern was that adult readers would be jarred when they heard a child's voice Mm. um and look to be honest if it's written well (laughs) um and hopefully it is and to be honest they Mm. you know they um May in the first instance, but I think by the time they get to the end of the novel, Jasmine is extremely important. Um, And I think that the reason that she's there is validated. Mm. So when you have so many characters that are, that you get inside their heads and the readers get inside their heads, did you um, really shape and develop those characters before you even started writing them? Did you have a really clear sense of, you know, their backstory and everything about it? Or did you kind of let them develop as you were writing? I let them develop as I was writing. And then during when I was going back over and editing it, I finessed them. I then went and said, okay, these are the things I've said about this character these are initially probably in that first draft, one or two of the female characters sounded a little bit too similar because they were a similar age. Um, and it was very easy to get Sophie right because she was really clear in my head. I could hear her speak. I could I knew everything she would do. It was the other characters that were a bit difficult because they, you know, were similar age, similar, you know, lo- lots of things. So it was hard to distinguish them. And so I had to go back and finesse them um, and spend some time finessing them. And I and I remember two characters, Chloe and Hannah, I just said, you know, okay, my job for the next two days is to distinguish their voices yeah. and make sure that they sound different. Now, did you um, use any writing tools like Scrivener or anything like that or you just no. put it in a uh, Word yeah. document? <laughs> I put it in a Word document and then when I was editing it, I created an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. um, so I could keep track of the chapters and, and I color-coded it so I could see, you know, who was mm. speaking and then if there was a major revelation, I, I you know, noted that. So I... Yeah. I I kind of find if I try to do too much in advance, I can't plan. As soon as I even sit down and start planning, I lose all creativity. Mm. Um, and I re- I really wish that I could do it because with a novel like this, it would make life so much easier. Mm. Um, but um, I just can't. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've written so many novels now, but uh, I want to just touch, if you could just tell listeners a little bit about, you know, those Excel spreadsheet skills came from somewhere, right? Because you used to have a career in finance. So maybe you could just talk briefly about the corporate career you had and how you um, then started writing. Um, well, look, I... Um started my working life as an accountant Mm -hmm. um and 
And I actually really liked my job. When I say that, people assume that I hated my job and I was really unhappy. I actually really liked my job. But I have had always a secret desire to write a novel. I told nobody that I wanted to write a novel, um, but I I did always want to write a novel. And when I came to Australia, um, I was working in a particularly dynamic environment. It was the, um, the IT industry in the 1990s. And... You know, there wasn't a day when something didn't happen in the office. It was, um, you know, there was a lot of innovation happening in that industry at the time. There was a lot of money. Um, and just something about the work environment inspired me. And I thought I could write my first novel about this type of mm. environment. And I enrolled in a creative writing class and I wrote my first novel. Um and and I was really, really lucky looking back. Um, I got picked up for publication quite quickly um, and I got offered a three book deal and being offered that three book deal, um, you know, really, I had to make a decision because um, at that point I had a, a newborn baby. I didn't have a newborn baby at the time of writing the first novel. I had all the time in the world, mm. you know. Other than having a job, you know, where I would start at seven in the morning and I'll finish till seven at night. At least when I finished at seven at night, I would finish at seven. Yes. At night. <laughs> Sometimes we'd work three tonight, but you know, there there were other things, other stories. But you know, when you have children, you realize that having a job at long hours is actually a piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> so um, at that point, by the time I got offered that deal, I had a newborn baby and I was struggling with the job and the baby mm-hmm. anyway, trying to juggle the two. And it felt, you know, I had this deal and I thought, well, the only way I can do this is to give up work. Um, and, and so I did. And I gave up work and I concentrated on fulfilling that contract and being a mum at the same time. So um, I was, as I said, I was fortunate. I, I look back and I think, gosh, that was really a dream start mm. to my writing career. Um, um, but since then, that baby is now 16, oh, going on 17. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm on my eighth novel. Well, yeah. um, Sophie is my eighth novel. So, yeah. yeah. And so do you ever miss the corporate world or anything? Because you said you really enjoyed Uh, your job. I did enjoy my job and I I miss the – I do miss some elements of it. I miss getting dressed up for work (laughs) and going out to work um, and just having that contact. Mm. Like writing can be very lonely. And I miss the – like not that my job was simple but like sometimes it was simple in comparison to writing um um I mean I know you would know this from you know where you work and what you do but there are many a day when you sit down to write or to work and you have no idea if you're going to pull it off or not pull it off whereas when you're working in the corporate world you you know you will pull it off you'll pull off something Mm. um so you have that certainty that you're good at you're good at what you do, whereas at writing you spend most of the time telling yourself you're terrible at what you do. Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so this is your eighth novel, though. So you're doing something right. So with this one, the missing pieces of Sophie McCarthy, did you um, pitch the idea first, and or no? So you no, wrote I it. I went and I wrote it first. Wow. Yeah. And I wrote it first, and I just knew it was going to be be different I knew it was going to be different 
from the first page and I wanted to try and write something different. I felt I needed a change. And my other novels, you know, all had that Irish Australian mm. thing going mm. and and I felt I had exhausted that and I had you know, I was happy with those novels, but I didn't want to write another one of them. Um, I wanted to write something different. And um, and that's why um, when I sat down, I, wrote, I put B.M. Carroll on the front of my yes. manuscript. Because your other books and were Burr so, Carroll and this one is B.M. Yeah. Carroll, yep. And I submitted it as B.M. Carroll. And then I had a wobble just before <laughs> it was published and saying, oh, can we go back to Burr Carroll? And the publisher, publisher said, no, B.M. is really good because Burr did cause a lot of confusion because people don't know how to say it they don't know what it means um it causes so much confusion um it's only three letters Mm -hmm. but um yeah if i had my time back i would have not had i would not have published as burr to start with right um and um so but i actually now i quite like being bm carol because the sophie has been selected for a few men's book clubs and i really don't think that would have happened awesome. <laughs> otherwise. Yes. And not that it means that much to me to have male, yes. you know, readers, um, because I think females are by far the greater reading group. Mm. But it's just so nice to know that people are picking up the book that wouldn't have picked up my other books. Mm. Um, and um, and so that's it's just been nice. My, my first fan mail was from a male oh wow that's great yeah so this book you 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 wrote it you wrote it without a contract um did you give yourself a self-imposed deadline of any sort or did you just kind of let yourself let it roll out or you know did you have any kind of structure or goals or word count goals or anything (laughs) I did, I did, I did, and I do. I said I'm quite mathematical. I do. I don't plan, but I, I, I actually, I don't know a writer who doesn't have a word count goal. I think we're all, we all have word count goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look at Alison Tate's word count oh, goals yes. every day. I know, <laughs> and she seems to do so well. I know, she's great. Um, she's funny, and um, so my goal is a thousand words a day. Okay. Um, and sometimes I will get to one and a half thousand words if it's been, you know, if I'm on a roll and if it's kind of coming towards the end of the novel and everything is flying. Um, and most days I'll sit there until I get to a thousand words. Even if it's a thousand bad words, I'll sit there mm. until I get there. Because I feel that a thousand words that need work are better than, you know, no words at all. And generally speaking, you know, you, you it's progressed the story and mm. you've got something that you can fix. And I always say that to new writers, just sit down and do it. Mm. And because you're going to change it anyway, you're going to change it over and over and over again. Yes. Just get started. So so I will usually make myself sit there until I've got it, got it done. And if I haven't managed to get it done during my working day, I'll pick it up at night and just write 100 words of nothing just mm. to in my mind so that I've <laughs> achieved something. Now I probably do that maybe four time, four days a week though. Um, okay. And then yeah, um, but I think it it's a huge benefit anyway to have thinking time. I need a lot of time to think. So um, if I can give myself that thinking time, you know, over the weekend, and when I come back, I know where I'm going to pick it up. So 
if you, so I understand that, giving yourself the thinking time, presumably you also give yourself thinking time during the day. Yeah. What kind of routine when you're writing, what kind of routine, daily routine would you have? Like, you know, do you start at a particular time? Do you have to have your particular cup of tea or music playing or whatever? Yeah. You know, walk me through the kind of routine that you would have in order to achieve your thousand words. Um, well, I go for a walk every morning, right. um, which is really funny because all my neighbours know me so well because I walk these streets so much. <laughs> so um, I walk the dog. And mm-hmm. um, before we had the dog, I would just be walking on my own. Um, so now I spend a lot of the time talking to the dog mm-hmm. while we're walking. But even though I'm talking to him, I am thinking. <laughs> so I find that that walk helps me think. And then I come home and I make um tea and I have food because <laughs> the more food I eat the more creative I am it's amazing are you serious I, I am so serious honestly um I can credit you know all my writing creativity to food and yeah to different- like, you can't write if you're you can't write if you're either peckish or cold you've got to be okay. warm and you've got to be um you know full <laughs> do different types of food affect your creativity in different ways Oh, look, chocolate is wonderful, really wonderful. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's funny because I have a friend who's just signed a publishing contract and she's in the middle of editing, her first edit, mm-hmm. and she rang me this morning and said, oh, I'm eating like crazy and I can't stop myself. And I said, well, I know it helps, doesn't it? <laughs> it really helps. So, oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, so I eat and then I write probably for an hour and then I'll go downstairs and try to stop myself from eating again, <laughs> but usually um, find a little snack and then come back up and write again. And, um, and you know, I'd usually do that. I would try and do four hours of solid writing. Um, and usually the first hour is slow, 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 because a lot of the time I'm looking over what I wrote yesterday and I'm editing it and fixing it and making it better. And then the middle, you know, the, the latter part of the day is when it comes a lot faster. So that's oh. why it's always worth making myself sit there a little bit longer because that's when I start to lose track of time. Yeah. And yeah, when the kids were little, I would always be the mum who was late for preschool <laughs> because I would just find my mojo oh, at 2.30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. And so what was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Um, the editing, without a doubt. Right. The editing was, you know, mm. the, it was a joy to write it. I had a lot of fun writing it. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when people read it um, and they were so positive, about it because I was I, I really did think it would be criticized very heavily mm. because of how it's structured and and because they were so positive about it that was really really nice mm. um but um editing it and I, I think it, it taught me a lesson when you're writing a novel like this um you do need to try and get it as close as possible first time round because mm. you do lose um something when you're editing you yeah. lose, you know you you can't recapture that feeling of who knows what and how do they know it and when do they know it and what's a shock and what's not a shock and you know it's it's really hard to recapture to get that right mm. later on so the less you have to change with a novel like this the better 
So the book has some has really strong, um, strong's not the word, uh, really clear and accurately depicted uh, characters and, you know, the little nuances and things they say or do or just little things that are um, idiosyncratic to them uh, uh, make them really make you think, oh, I know that kind of person, you know, I, you, you, you recognise them. Are you the sort of person who, you know, you, you sit at the Sunday barbecue and you observe the way a guy scratches his neck or... <laughs> or I do. I actually do. <laughs> and do you know that I, Like, how, what do you do? I do note down silly things. Um, and I always find it's really funny. Some writers are just really good at, really good at, characterization yeah. I feel I have to try harder it doesn't come naturally I have to work hard at it um but um I always remember in one of Leanne Moriarty's books and she was describing one of the male characters toes <sighs> you know those men with really big big, big toes mm -hmm. you know especially their big toe mm -hmm. um and I went, oh, my God, I know so many men like yeah. that. And I, like, I, was like, I know exactly who that is. And then I thought, am I really identifying somebody through their toes? <laughs> <laughs> and, but, yes, you do. You do watch people. And, you, and you know, after eight novels, yes. you've got to watch really, really hard because, yeah. you know, you can't rely on those piercing blue eyes anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, unfortunately, you've, you've used up a lot yeah. and you've you know even names oh my goodness trying to find new names mm. um that are still not outlandish you know because you know they've got to be it was very important to me with Sophie that that it was believable and I had a lot of discussions with the editor about this I wanted the characters to be everyday characters that people will know and mm. recognize and believe and will believe what happens and that um, that was really important to me. Mm. So, and some of that is tied up in names, right? You can maybe carry off one or two unusual names. You can't really carry off, you know, 20 mm. of them. And when you're on your eighth novel and you've had, you know, big casts of characters in each novel, you know, you're scratching around even for names. <laughs> but if we can just circle back to the observation of the guy scratching his neck at the Sunday barbecue, I have to ask, if you do feel that something you want to note down, what do you do? Do you surreptitiously take out your notebook or your phone and write down the way he scratches his neck? Like, how, what do you actually in, do? I would take out my phone in that scenario because a notebook is a bit too obvious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if I'm if I'm afraid it's something I'll forget, I will write it down. Right. Um, and and some things sometimes it's just often it's not their action; it's their dialogue mm. and how they say something and that whole, you know. Um, and it's often just something that they say, and it's very hard to say why it strikes a chord. It's really funny, you know, you know, people come up to you and they say, oh my God, have I got a story for you? Mm. Or have I got a character for you? And invariably, as soon as they say that, I'm not thinking, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. Um, and yet there I am looking at the man scratching his neck and going, oh my God, this is very important. <laughs> I need to write it down. <laughs> so who knows what? what strikes a chord and what yeah. doesn't strike a chord right it's very odd you know what resounds with writers yeah yeah now you say this flowed out very easily in your first draft did you know everything that was going to happen like no I didn't I did not know what was going to happen right wow 
I had no idea what was going to happen. And, and that's the way I always write. Yeah. And and it does make me panic a lot yes. because for a lot of the novel, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've spent all this time writing this novel. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to resolve itself. Mm. And, and really with Sophie, I was testing how far would Sophie go? Mm. Um, and... And we obviously we can't talk about how mm. it's resolved. And then it came to me, well, oh, actually, this this is what it just comes to me. It came to me when I was in the gym. Wow. What would happen? And I remember leaving out a little yelp of excitement. <laughs> and the instructor thought I'd hurt myself. So she was over going, are you OK? Are you OK? And I was like, no, I just I figured something out. Are you and, serious? Um, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm serious. And that's it's funny. It's it's almost like every single novel I get to the point where I think, oh crap, how am I gonna fix this? Yes. I've written myself into a corner and I'm panicked and I think, well, this one's gonna not you know, this one's never gonna be finished. And then suddenly out of nowhere, how it's gonna be resolved that's comes. Amazing. <laughs> it's all very magic. <laughs> So this book is different to your other books. How was the writing, how did the writing experience differ or, or didn't it really? Um, I felt I learned a lot in this with this novel. Um, and that's a nice thing to be able to say after eight novels. Mm. Um, and as I said, it's not like I haven't dabbled with intrigue before I have. And... Um, and even my earlier novels had a much higher level of intrigue than the middle novels. So I have dabbled it with it before. But um, um, keeping this much back from the reader was a lot of fun. Mm. And, and also a big learning, a big learning in terms of timing and how to time things. Mm. And um, so I, that, that made it very pleasurable, the idea that you're still learning your craft after eight novels and you know being excited about you know what's going to happen and surprising yourself because I didn't know how you know what was going to happen and and then when it came to me it was so perfect and that thrill of you know knowing that well I hadn't thought of it so hopefully the reader hasn't thought of it either And so what have you you've obviously obviously you've written and released this are you working on another one? Yes. Already? Yes. So, so I have, yeah. Yes. What can you so, tell us what it's about or anything? Um, it's, well, this sounds very um, funny, but it's it's about a school reunion um, that <laughs> goes wrong. Oh, wow. So, okay, cool. Also written from lots of different perspectives and in a very difficult tense. And I feel like bashing myself over the head because I can tell you the next novel oh. I do will not be written from that many different perspectives. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but it suited the school reunion type scenario, um, having different. That's fantastic. Voices. Well, I went to mine recently, so you know, and it was it's intriguing. It's absolutely intriguing. Yes, I wish I could have gone. <laughs> was that the twenty? Was that the twenty year? Or? No, I had my thirty year reunion. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh my goodness! So this is a twenty year reunion, right. and um, and funnily enough, you know, I have never been because I live here. Oh. Um, and I have never been to a school reunion. Oh, so, and I'm, obs- I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with them. I always have been. Really? I've always been obsessed about that whole idea of being a certain person at school yes. and evolving into someone else because I am nothing remotely like yeah. who I was at school. But yet I know people who are exactly like how they were at school. And 
and and yeah i'm obsessed with it i'm obsessed about you know who changes who doesn't change and oh wow and, can't can't wait to read the next one all right so and finally um what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers who want to be in a position like you are one day having eight books under their belt and their ninth one on the way oh I hope I can think of three (laughs) number one is always read 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 um because you know when people say to you how do you know how to write I know how to write because you know, just through reading. Um, um, and the more you read, the more you go, oh, that works, that doesn't work. You know, this is good, that isn't good. Um, and I'm always astounded by people, you know, who present work and they're not readers. And I think the difference between people who present work who are readers mm. and people who present work who aren't readers is is just fast. So number one is read as much as you possibly can and keep on reading. Um, number two is to start it. Yes. Um, and, and maybe I'm contradicting myself here because I said with this novel, I wish that I'd got more right the first time around, but this is a particular type of novel. Mm. I think most novels, you have all the time in the world to change what you've written and you will, if it's your first novel, you will change it many, many, many times. So really there's no excuse not to start it, not to sit down and just you know, get writing. Um, And the third thing I would say is to, you know, don't um, have too much at stake. Um, And this is from somebody who did give up work to to write. Um, I think your writing is a lot better if your financial security isn't dependent on it. Yep. Um, You have a lot less to lose. And I always think when you don't have a lot to lose, your writing takes off. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's no reason why, you know, fair enough, if you've got children and a very demanding job, yes, I, I accept then it is really difficult to write. But I think most people can write as a pastime. They can, you know, um, so don't feel like you have to resign immediately <laughs> um, because you might find that that might kill your creativity. That's just, I think Peter Carey tells that to his writing class as well. So it's not just me saying that. Um, I'm sure there's many other writers who would say, no, no, follow your dreams, um, back yourself. But I always feel your best writing comes when you're not threatened. Yes. Um, and, you know, if your financial security is okay, then your creativity is also okay and it's secure and it can, it can flourish. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Burr. Thank you, Valerie. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. So there you go, Burr Carroll, otherwise known as B.M. Carroll. That's really interesting. And it's, it's always interesting to see um, a writer's career develop because I saw, mm. 
I remember going to a library talk years ago um, and Burr was on with Di Blacklock, Diane Blacklock, who, of oh, course, yeah. we interviewed a few, um, oh, I don't know, yeah, I lose track, but a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And um, they, of course, are part of the book chat team with Leanne Moriarty. There's yes. the three of them and they put out the author, you know, the co newsletter uh once a month and things like that so it's it's been great to uh, i've been sort of on that newsletter list now for years and yes. it's been so great to watch the you know the three of them and the way that their careers have gone and they're they're quite upfront all the time about the processes and what they're working on and how it's going and it's just interesting to watch the three of them you know you know all doing different things at different times and um and supporting each other so uh definitely uh have a look at the book chat newsletter as well if you if you haven't um haven't done that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to find out more about Burr um, and to subscribe to Book Chat, you can go to her website, which is Burr, that's B-E-R, BurrCarroll.com. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L. All right. Um, Well, we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week? Oh, there you go. I'll tell you what I'm doing. So I'm currently in the middle, apart from, you know, trying to finish a manuscript and various other things that I'm doing. um, I'm in the middle of creating a new workshop. So it's to go out. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting one because it's four years, nine to 12. Oh wow! Um, I'm calling it level up um, because you know, that's how I'm so cool. Not really. <laughs> um, but it's it's for so I've, for the whole of most of this year I've been running a writers uh, group at a local high school, and uh, this is going to be like our final meeting of the year. So there'll be cake. I said I'm not coming unless there's cake. Yeah, so they're yeah. bribing me with cake. But I'm also doing a three hour workshop, and the first bit of it is going to be I'm going to do my. Uh, 10 Keys to a Great Story, which is is kind of one that I've done a lot, which has been really well received. And it's mostly aimed, I mean, it can go to anywhere. Like I could go and do it for adults, you know, but obviously the examples that I've used are more middle yeah. grade. So it's more aimed at, you know, grades kind of five to eight probably. And um, this, and so I, I asked them, you know, you know, we've been talking about all various things all year and I asked them to tell me what they want to know more about, you know, because obviously this is a, they're a slightly more advanced group. They've got um, obviously older. And so they sent me through the list of questions, which most of which were really great. And so I'm creating a workshop based on what they want to know. And then once I've road tested it on them, which I'm going to do on Friday, um, I will then be able to take it out to other um to other grades, uh, years Mm. 9 to 12, which is great because it just sort of gives me another, you know, like if I go to a high school, I can now, I will now be able to do both, you know, years 7 and 8, but also sort of the older years as well. And I'm talking about more sophisticated things. I'm talking about show, don't tell. I'm talking about pacing. I'm talking about voice. There's, you know, a fairly um, important bit in there about voice. I'm talking about editing and embroidering. So that idea Mm. of not just like when you're, when you're editing a story, you're not just looking at, um, you know, as we talked about, not just full stops and things like that, but but looking at layering, that's where you start to work on layering your descriptions and layering yeah. your uh, various things. And um, I had a chat to Pamela Freeman this week and she's very delightedly given me permission to use her four-colour strategy, for, oh, which yeah. I think is such a genius way of looking at editing a scene. Um, if you haven't come across Pamela's genius editing strategy, then you need to do one of her courses because it's mm. very, very good. Um, so I'm using like a very basic version of that. 
that just as part of the workshop. So I'm in the process of writing that. And it's uh, it's like, you know, when you do something like that, it's almost like you're writing a book. Like you end up writing so many because I write everything out of my head mm. and then I take notes with me. But I need to know what I want to say before I go and stand in front of, you know, 20, I'm, I think it's for 20 I'm doing this week, 20 okay. years, 9 to 12 students. And they just, because they sit there and they just look at you like <laughs> you've got three heads yeah. and the whole time they look at you like that the whole time. So you feel like you just like, you know, I'm obviously, I'm a crazy lady and I'm saying nothing useful. And then they come up to you at the end and they go, oh, that was amazing. And you just go, could you not have given me a little of that while I was standing there making a fool of myself? <laughs> Could I not have had a little sense that you were listening to me? But anyway, so I just have to hope for the best. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to talk and wave my hands around a lot because that's what I do and yeah. hope that, you know, I say something useful. Awesome. Do you find at that age they um, also have less eye contact, even though there's nothing else for them to look at except, you know, because you're at the front of the class? Yeah, they no, seriously, they do. So mm. I can go and do the 10 keys to a great story. I can go and do that for a group of grade fives mm. and it, it's like a – it's like a circus. Like they're mm. so involved. I've got hands waving. I've got kids throwing themselves at me to, you know, to, to read their stuff and do their things and whatever. Mm. And then I go and do the same thing for like years nine to 12 and they sit there the whole time and just look at me like I am. It's like that sense of if you've ever um, met kind of particularly year nine boys, let's just go there, year nine boys because I've got one. Um, they just, they literally, you get this blank face and they yeah. just look at you like, yeah. How are you even alive? Like, how can you be this uncool and still be standing? Like, it's that. That's the sense you get from them. Maybe it's just me. But, like, seriously, so you st- I'm standing up there and I'm, like, I'm pulling out my jokes and I'm doing, like, the stuff that the stuff that makes kids just, like, roll on the floor when they're in grade five, right? And I'm pulling out the same, similar stuff, um, not the same, but similar. And these kids are just looking at me like, oh, my God. And then, honestly, at the end they come up and they go, that was so great. And you just go okay could you not have like reacted on like even an eyebrow lift at some point would have been good but whatever you know so I'm kind of used to it now tough tough. it's the toughest room ever really but anyway sorry I just talked way too much about that so what are you doing this week Val (laughs) (laughs) Val's organizing a festival and I'm talking to 20 kids (laughs) no no I'm um I'm a bit stressed because I've got two weeks, less than two weeks actually, only a week and a half left of the diploma that I'm doing, as in where I'm a student. And so I've literally got a week and a half to make sure I have all of my handouts, I mean all of my assignments handed in, everything submitted, portfolio done. So it's a diploma of surface design and um, it's just going to be the most intense week and a half ever. (laughs) Wow. Yep. That's pretty, yeah, okay. Lots of late nights. Anyway, mm. enough about that. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find me at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, connect with both, with, not boast, with both of us in the <laughs> podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 